Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts now. <laughs> this week, today actually, the 2023 season of the Music Circus comes to a close. It was their 71st season of theater in the round in Sacramento. The first 50 seasons were under a tent, and I think some of us can attest to that tent was hot. I remember it as a kid. And since 20, 2003, the patrons and act actors have enjoyed the luxury of air conditioning in their permanent indoor space. This season, we attended three of the six musicals and enjoyed them all. They were all very different. The acting and singing are always good, and it's always interesting to see how they manage the staging and the scenery there in the round. We've seen productions there that we had seen on Broadway, and I mean, they're very creative about how they get people and things on and off the stage. We attended Rent on Wednesday night, and we saw something we had never seen before. Now, we had never seen Rent live before, but we had seen it, um, you know, uh, the movie of the Broadway production and the movie of the movie, or just the movie. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. We saw, for the first time, a wardrobe malfunction, or a stage miscue. It wasn't too disruptive, but it was definitely noticeable. During one of the many scenes where the stage is going up and down and sometimes it's going around, uh, one of the actors had put his jacket on the back of a chair and the, the, the jacket slipped off of the chair and uh, before it got picked up, the stage had moved again and the jacket became pinched between two parts of the stage that had been at different levels. Right in the middle of the stage. So, throughout the next scene, multiple actors thought they were going to slyly pick it up or kick it out of the way, but it stayed put because it was stuck. Eventually, during the darkness of the next scene change, they apparently raised or lowered the stage enough to release it so that in the next scene, the character Mark could be wearing it again when he appeared on stage. It was sort of a, a show within the show, so to speak. Did, where's Bob? Did you notice Bob? Did you notice that the Bob and the Mary Jo were at the same performance? Are you familiar with the musical Rent? I've heard some of us talking about it already this morning. It's not nearly as old as the music Circus, it didn't make its Broadway premiere until 1996. But it won the, the Tony for Best Musical that year and spent 12 years on Broadway. At the time, it made it one of the longest running shows on Broadway, but in the subsequent years, it's been knocked out of the top 10. It is considered a rock musical that is based loosely on Puccini's opera La Boheme. It's about a bohemian community of artists who are squatting in a building in New York City. It's set during the height of the AIDS epidemic, so about half of the characters are HIV positive. The show explores the pain and the loss associated with the virus. But even more importantly, 
It celebrates the love that creates unbreakable bonds between people, between all people. While each of the characters is impacted by the epidemic, they are still a very diverse group of people. They are gay and straight, addict and not, homeless and property owners. They're from different ethnicities, different gender identities, and socioeconomic statuses. Some are unemployed, some are underemployed, some are gainfully employed. There's a musician and a philosopher, a film director and an attorney, a performer and a businessman. And yet they are all held together into one non-traditional community and dare I say family, held together by their love and care for each other. When facing the painful reality that during the the late 80s and 90s of a positive HIV diagnosis, at the time it meant certain death, the cast reflects upon the importance and the meaning of a life. With 525,600 minutes in each year that we live, what matters the song suggests, is not the daylight or the sunsets, the midnights, the cups of coffee. It's not the inches or miles, the laughter or strife. How you measure a year in a life, the song says, is love. Love. How about love? Those are the words and the themes of one of the featured songs in the musical a song whose tune gets in your head, 525,600, sorry. (laughs) And it needs to be sung, but not only sung the Apostle Paul would write, those words need to be lived. We, like the characters in this gritty, dark musical, are called to live our lives in seasons of love. We are nearing the end, finally, of our summer sermon series from Paul's letter to the Romans. We're nearing the end of the summer, although today doesn't feel like the end is so near. We're also nearing the end of the letter. And over the past few weeks, including this week, Paul's focus has been on love. It shouldn't be surprising to us that Paul would write about love because he's credited with writing the love chapter in his first letter to the church in Corinth. You know it. Love is patient, love is kind, yada, 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 yada. For the past two chapters and three weeks, we have been reading and preaching about love from Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a message that was important to Paul. So important, in fact, that he repeats it over and over and over again. And even though we might grow tired of hearing these sermons about love, I think we need to be reminded of it as well. Reminded to love one another because love is the greatest of all the commandments, according to Jesus. And we love because God first loved us. After all, God is love. 
And we read that there's no greater love that one has for another than they would lay down their life for them. And then Jesus gives a new command on that night before he was betrayed. As he was at table with the disciples, a new commandment that the disciples, that we would love one another as he has loved us. It's all about love. Now this would not have been new news to Paul's original audience, just as it isn't new news to us. However, like us, Paul's readers struggled to figure out how to live out this commandment. How do we live a life of love? How do we make it fit into our culture, into the way that we interact with people each and every day? For Paul's Jewish readers, they knew the command that Paul quotes in verse 9 of our reading because it comes from Leviticus 19, verse 18. There it says, But you shall love the neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. So Paul's hearers and readers would have already known that that was a commandment from God, but they wouldn't necessarily have understood that that was the commandment because they were focused upon keeping all of the law. They understood that the law was what helped make them special, unique. It helped identify them as being different than the people to whom the law hadn't been given to. And now they're being told by Paul that the law has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The law has been fulfilled so that not only Jews, but all people might receive it, might belong, might be saved. Paul doesn't challenge the Jewish understanding of the law because Paul was Jewish himself, but it is God who challenges that previously held notion. God challenged it when he sent his one and only son to fulfill the law, to come in love, to save each and every one of us. Now we share in Paul's first century audience's resistance and confusion, so much so that Luther wrote a lot about how we deal with the law and how we deal with love, right? And, and Luther talked a lot about this law and this gospel kind of a tension between the two. And the reality is Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to replace it, not to remove it, not to, so that we could forget it ever existed, but the law helps us understand and see our need for Jesus. The law helps us understand that we need the love and the mercy that comes from God through Christ in order that we too might be saved. Without the law, we might think we were perfect. Hard to believe, but we might think we were perfect. But through the law, we understand that we aren't perfect. And there's no way that we could be perfect, that we could be good enough, that we could love enough, that we could do enough to deserve or warrant God's love for us. The law is not our pathway to God, Jesus is. The law does not define us, Jesus does. The law does not dictate who is in and who is out, Jesus does. And as we read earlier this summer from Romans, only Jesus is in a position to condemn. Only Jesus is in a position to condemn, and he died for us. 
And he prays for us. And he loves us. So what do we owe? Paul asks the question. What do we owe? Well, he says we owe nothing. We know we owe no one anything. And this is not an injunction against getting into debt. But instead, it points us to the one thing that we do all owe. The one thing we all owe is love. Love one another. It's a debt that's owed to all people regardless of who they are or what they have done because the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's as simple or as difficult as that. Now commentators in other parts of the Bible have said this whole love your neighbor bit have tried to, to shrink the, the pool of people who, might, who our neighbors might be. And then there's ways of reading that command in other parts of the Bible that suggests our neighbor are the people in the church. That's not the case here. The description of our neighbor or all people here is clearly points to all people, not just the church, not just the people you're sitting in pews with, not just the people you like or the people you might be related to. All means all. The others, let's see. We are clearly to love all people. And the others that we are to love, according to one commentary, are our neighbors, not because they are like us, not even because they are chosen by us, but because they are given to us by God with a need that we can meet. The others that we are to love are our neighbors, not because they are like us or because we have chosen them, but instead because they were given to us by God because they have a need that we can help to meet. Our neighbors are the people in need whom we can help meet their need. We talked about this this week um, at our table at Pub Theology. The topic was mercy. And I think we agreed on the definition for the topic. I'm going to say we did. Mercy is receiving something that you couldn't do or give to yourself. Mercy is receiving something that you couldn't do for yourself or give to yourself. So we receive mercy from God when we are forgiven for all of our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's something we couldn't do for ourselves. So we receive mercy from God. And I like to, to put the focus that way because I think oftentimes we want to be the givers of mercy. The reality is, folks, we need it. We absolutely need it, and it's humbling to be in that place of need. It requires trust of another person to help meet that need. And I think that's the basis for these loving relationships. We are sinful, as the law makes clear, and we are in need of the forgiveness that only God can give. Likewise, we show mercy to others by doing for them what they couldn't do for themselves. Such acts are acts of love because they are Christ-like. Jesus is revealed to those who are receiving mercy because he is present in those merciful, loving acts. Now we might think that we are the ones who are doing something great when we are showing mercy or kindness to another person. 
It ain't you. It is the power of God at work in you and through you. You are being Christ-like because Christ is in you. It's not that you're good enough to do it. It's that God is working through you. You have received the mercy necessary to be able to extend mercy to others. Always humbly. Look at who our Savior is. Look at, look at who we follow. The humble servant. Always humbly. Being loving and merciful to others is what a life of discipleship looks like. It's a life that reflects the one whom, in whom we say we have faith. The one who gave his very life for us. So our lives should look like Jesus' life. Loving, giving, serving, turning the other cheek, not committing adultery or murdering or stealing or coveting anything that is our neighbor's, as the law describes. Friends, we love our when we love our neighbors, we live as Jesus lived. And we don't do so to earn our salvation, we do so because we have been saved. And as Paul writes, we know that the time is coming near. A lot about love. I didn't lead with my daughter's wedding, but you knew I had to talk about it. <laughs> Two weeks ago yesterday, and all things, all indications are the, the marriage is going fine. <laughs> the ceremony was beautiful, and yes, I cried. But not enough that I wasn't able to co-officiate and have the honor of pronouncing them as husband and wife. Now, during the homily, which I didn't present, <laughs> my buddy from seminary, Phil, did. He talked about Alyssa and Dash's love as being grounded in and representative of the love that they have received from God. And that their, their loving relationship is representative of the love that they together have received from God. And I talked about this in, in the Hump Day Hallelujah this week, but like Paul is repeating himself about love, so am I. And then he made the move to say that it is through their love that we are gathered together. It is through the love that they are, we're, we're committing to, confessing to, um, proclaiming for each other that brought all of us who were gathered in that warm Saturday afternoon underneath the shade of a big tree with a, a cool breeze. It was because of our love for them and their love for each other and God's love for them that we were brought to that time and to that space. And then Phil encouraged us to love and support their marriage as a act of God's love as well, as a representation of God's love, um, that now we had been bound one to another through that very same love. In the Hump Day Hallelujah, I talked about the fact that, that on Friday we hadn't met most of Dash's family, but by Saturday at, at 5.30 or 6 o'clock, now we're related. Why? How? Because of love. Because of love. And if you don't trust or believe in the power of love, it's, it would be difficult to sit through a musical like Rent and say, how could these people be gathered together? It doesn't make sense. People from all walks of life. Look around in here. We come from all sorts of different experiences. 
Even today, getting here, we had different experiences this morning. Some of us are ticked off because the alarm went off or, you know, we're wishing we could be watching the game or we're praying that the Giants might win or whatever it is. (laughs) But what binds us together one to another is the love of God given to each of us through the gift of his one and only son. And our mission, our call as disciples, as bearers of that love is to share it, to live like we believe that it's life-giving not only for ourselves, but for the world around us. We, we talk about, about the law and the gospel, and we want, we want all gospel for ourselves, and we want to apply the law to all those other people. The reality is that the good news of God's love is offered to all. We aren't the holders of it. We need to be the sharers of it. So let us boldly proclaim the good news of God's love. For that's the one debt that each of us owes. Tell me that, tell me that you got no debt. Paul says different. Paul says you owe love to your neighbor. So pay up. Pay up. Now is the time. Pay up in love. How do you define a life? Seasons of love, my friends. Amen.